Welcome to the Like a New Day podcast, the podcast where we discuss creativity, photography, and uh, we often look at the world through the lens of a Leica camera. Uh, my name is Zachary. I'm your host. Uh, I am a photographer based in Michigan. I am eager to uh, share with you a few of my thoughts about the creative process and uh, bring on guests and talk about cameras and talk about photography. So uh, here we go. Thanks for coming. Okay, uh, this program is going to be structured around three main segments. First of all, I want to talk about uh, the creative process. So I got a section that I just want to talk about creativity uh, and, and how you implement creativity into your daily life. Another one is I want to specifically talk about photography. So photography tips and tricks. Uh, this might be an area where we have somebody else come in. I might have uh, an interview in this section. Uh, well, for that matter, I might have an interview in the first section too. Uh, and then the last section is going to be uh, Leica stuff specifically. So if we want to talk about Leica cameras, firmware updates, techniques, uh, you know, technology of those cameras, Q&A, whatever they might be. So, okay, uh, I'm going to start with creativity today. And uh, what I really want to talk about is just taking the plunge and, and making yourself pursue your creative projects without any real commercial end in sight. Well, if you really care about it, you know, you need to make uh, your creative process a priority. But uh, one of the reasons I was inspired to make this podcast uh, and and think about, you know, photography and creativity was because of some major breakthroughs that I've made in my personal life in the last few months. Um, I've been able to take this small but very powerful camera with me everywhere where before my system camera was, you know, really too big and ponderous to take places. You know, those two things together uh, have created an opportunity for me to to integrate creativity, you know, more more neatly into my life. And that's led to some unique opportunities. And I wanted to, uh, you know, use the microphone and kind of talk about them a little bit. So in life, if there's something that you want to do uh, that's going to make you happy or is going to add something to the conversation that's going to make life a little bit better for you or for the people around you, I always say, you know, you just have to do it. Um, you know, we all have to go to work. We all have to go and take care of our families and friends. We have to mow the lawn and, and wash the dishes or whatever it might be. If you can find a way to just integrate photography into your everyday life or integrate drawing into your everyday life, if you like to draw or playing music, you know, I know it sometimes can be difficult, but it really just is as simple as making time for it and getting it done. Now, you know, I, I was always worried about taking too much time with my creative life because I was worried about uh, not spending enough time with my family. And the thing is, is in my particular case, my wife and my son and my parents and my coworkers, if I believe in what I'm doing, they tend to to want to support me and believe in what I'm doing as well. You know, my family has been extraordinarily supportive uh, in my desire to to integrate photography more more fully into my life, and uh, it's really been a huge blessing. I'm going to give you a little bit of an example. Um, after eight years of my current job, I um, have been able to use photography in my everyday life here at work to help communicate our mission and our work to the community, and that's been that's been exciting, and it's been uh, an opportunity to to pull the camera out, you know, for my day job and actually have gotten some things published and, and some things have really started to happen in photography as a result of my, my day job work. My board of directors here has been extremely supportive of that, as, as you would imagine. And they're a great group of people. And we came up on eight years of my being here and looking at my employee evaluation, they start talking about, uh, you know, raises and things they might do to, to give you a hand and uh, reward you for work. And thankfully, everything was going really well. And I said, you know, you know, after all this time here, um, 
I would really like to focus on, you know, myself a little bit and on my, my mental health and my creative process and that. And one thing that I really love and I want to do more of is I want to integrate more and more photography into my life. So I actually asked, instead of for a raise, I asked for a, a sabbatical of sorts. I asked for a couple of weeks off to take a workshop at the International Center of Photography in New York City. And um, my family was on board. The conservancy where I work was on board. My coworkers were on board. And everybody, you know, gladly uh, supported me in that. So I had an incredible opportunity to go to New York City uh, and hang out at the International Center of Photography uh, about 11 days. And uh, I was there for two consecutive weekends. And then the week in between was all uh, work on the assignments. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But it was incredible. It was a class called uh, Documentary Photography for Social Change. And uh, this class was incredible because um, I thought I knew what documentary photography was. I thought I knew what um, having a camera on you meant. And and basically, I guess my idea of documentary photography was more like photojournalism or uh, street photography, I suppose. You know, it's kind of what I thought. But really, um, (laughs) it wasn't really that at all. Uh, it was about, you know, sort of deep dive, connecting with subjects. And uh, the class was almost not at all about, you know, actual execution or photography. It was really all about connecting with your subject and, and you know, making making a documentary piece that tells a story. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. I met some great people there. I had a, a week with some classmates and had a, a, you know, photographic partner for a particular project that was great. And uh, it got me out of my comfort zone for sure. Um, now, you know, I knew when I was going to come back to, to Michigan, I wasn't going to be able to devote 24 hours a day to photography like that. I mean, I was by myself in New York City for a couple of weeks, and it was incredible. But the class was incredible because it, it starts off, and the, we're in class for a few hours, and you think you're going to be there all day. And Andre, the, the, the instructor, says, well, all right, here's your first assignment. Um, I need you to go out and uh, meet a stranger and take their, their picture, take photographs of a stranger in their living room. And of course, when he said that, the room got quiet. Well, what do you mean in their living room? He means you have to go out, make a deep enough connection with somebody that you can find a way to be invited into or asked to be uh, to brought into their their home. So within a few hours, you had to try to get into somebody's home and take their picture, which is amazing. What does that have to do with photography? Well, it has everything to do with documentary photography. And uh, what he said was, you know, go into it with an open heart. Just open your heart. And he said the whole class is about um, breaking you in half and letting you bleed on the floor. Um, it was an incredible opportunity to to find something in yourself. And uh, the whole class went on like that. These these challenges and experiences where it really, you know, pushed you to ask the question, to meet the people, to open your heart, to make a connection. And I realized that I can do that in my everyday life. Like, I don't need to be a professional photographer or a traveling photographer to do that. I can just find a way to integrate that into my everyday life and, and, and turn the camera on subjects that I believe in. And I realized that even here at work, there are things that I can do to sort of expand my storytelling capacity by making deeper connections with the people that I work with, the people that we work for. Uh, my friends, my family, and people here in the community. So um, this podcast is going to talk a lot about that in the future as my projects uh, start to unfold. You know, you just <laughs> you just find a way to point the camera at things in your life that you care about. That's pretty much it. If you're a landscape photographer, go for a walk, take a picture, even if it's your neighborhood. It doesn't mean you always have to be pointing your camera at Mount Everest or at uh, the Grand Canyon. There's beautiful trees all over my, you know, small Midwestern town. There's a, there's a river going through our town. There's that portrait photography. Well, unless you live, uh, you know, at the South Pole, uh, well, I suppose even at the South Pole, there's a few scientists hanging out there. But unless you're in a remote, you know, area of the desert all by yourself, there's going to be people around you. And maybe there are people that are just waiting to, to meet you. Maybe you just need to pull out that camera and start talking. Or maybe you just need to start talking and then pull out the camera. 
Um, and I'll tell you a little bit about what I ended up doing. Uh, this was about a, you know, like a month ago or so I got back. In the interim, I've opened my heart to new ideas and new projects, and a lot has already started to happen. You know, when I was in New York, one of the uh, objectives was to do a day in the life story. And I thought, well, what would I like to tell the story of? Well, I have a, a small but growing collection of tattoos that are done by uh, my, my very good friend, Jeff Zuck, who's a well-known traditional style tattooer here in, uh, in Michigan, down in Ann Arbor. And, um, you know, I contacted Jeff and I just said, you know, I would like to tell the story of the day in the life of a, a traditional tattooer. And um, I knew that there were several famous shops that do that style of traditional tattooing there in New York, and I knew that he would be very willing to connect me. So um, what he did was he he helped me out and get a connection with Smith Street Tattoo, and I went in there and I met uh, Bert, uh, Bert Crack, who's kind of the, the mastermind behind that that organization, which is a well-known, uh, very, very famous and well-respected traditional tattoo shop, and we had a great conversation. And uh, I went into it with a wide open heart. And um, actually, you know, Bert and I connected right away over cameras because I'm sitting down with Bert. And he was, of course, you know, a little bit skeptical. And, you know, the arms folded. And like, you know, who is this guy? You know, photography inside a t traditional tattoo shop or any tattoo shop for that matter is usually, you know, forbidden. Because um, if you're not familiar with tattoo culture, a lot of the artists put their flash up on the wall. Flash is their ideas for future tattoos. And, um, you know, you don't want to put that information out there because it's intellectual property and other tattoo artists might steal your ideas. So, you know, when you go into a tattoo shop, you'll often see absolutely no photography, you know, signs up everywhere. So breaking into a tattoo shop to take pictures is not easy. So you had to go at it with an open heart. So when I met Bert, you know, I showed him my, my work and we talked back and forth. And before you know it, we were connecting. But the one thing that, that we ended up connecting over was he says, Hey, you know, do you ever shoot film? And I says, well, yeah, I do. And actually in my bag, I had a, um, a Nikon F3, uh, from, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s, and I had uh, some rolls of Tri-X in there. And uh, he said, well, I, I love film photography. I said, well, you know, hey, Bert, you know, maybe I'll shoot this in film because that made everybody more comfortable and it was more fun for him. It didn't have the commercial immediacy of digital photography. So uh, he was stoked. I came back in and I shot a couple rolls of Tri-X over a couple of hours and um, they turned out great. I, I pushed them one stop. Uh, and so they had that extra contrast. It also gave me, you know, quick enough shutter speeds in sort of a dark space. And um, I was really happy with the photographs, and I wish I'd had more time. So when I came back, um, one of the things that Andre had told us in the class was, you know, you end up shooting what you know, or you end up being, you know, the most passionate uh, shooting things that you really know and you believe in. And I thought, well, you know, my community here um, is fantastic, and my community down in Ann Arbor was fantastic. And I thought, well, you know, I could call Jeff. I could do this at Name Brand Tattoo down there, down there in Ann Arbor, and I could do something similar. But maybe it's a little bit deeper dive. So I contacted Jeff, and Jeff said, absolutely, we'd love to have you down. And before you know it, I spent a whole Friday there, and then a week later, I spent a whole Saturday there. So uh, in the last ten days, I've spent probably geez, almost 14, 16 hours shooting uh, at uh, a tattoo shop down there. And uh, these guys do some incredible stuff. I've watched people getting tattooed that were getting their first tattoo or getting their hundredth tattoo. And I've met these people and I met the clients and I heard their stories and I explained what I was trying to do, you know, and I just had my little Leica Q2 and a film camera. And I said, look, you know, I'm, I'm here to document this traditional tattoo culture. Uh, and traditional tattoo culture is a little bit different than sort of mainstream LA Inc. kind of tattoo culture. It's a uh, traditional tattoo tattoo culture is extremely respectful uh, of its traditions and, and of its of its heritage. And um, you'll probably be hearing a lot more about it because this is starting to turn into uh, quite a project. And in fact, I, I met some great clients. This, this group of guys was up from Cleveland and New York and they were getting work done. And, uh, you know, I ended up 
connecting uh, with with Kevin, a uh, great guy who was one of the clients there that day. And it looks like we're going to arrange a trip for me to come down to Cleveland and meet some guys at some of the shops where he gets work done there. And Jeff has connected me with uh, some other ideas and, and concepts. And, and as the work starts to develop, I think it's going to help me with that network is going to build. And my hope is that I can um, be shooting traditional tattoo shops coast to coast for a book project or a recurring magazine project or something of that nature. So it's something that I'm really excited about. Um, getting in there and making those connections and, and being able to point a camera at something that I think is fantastic. And you, you're doing everything in this space. You're doing, you know, you're doing portraits, you're doing group shots, you're doing close-ups, you know, macro, all of these things in a tattoo shop. And uh, it's pretty cool. You can, you can check out my website. The links will be in the description of this episode, but ZacharyBranigan.com and look under portfolio and you're going to see a, a folder called Disciples, the Tattoo Project and uh, Smith Street Tattoo. Those, those portfolios will include this work. So, so you'll see, but I'm shooting something that I care about and I believe in, and I am uh, meeting people that I care about uh, that are that are practicing an art form that I believe in. So um, it's pretty easy to to make good photographs and make photographs that you get excited about. It's a it's an exciting way to to for me to integrate creativity into my life, and um, you know, it's just it's not a long drive down to, to Ann Arbor or, or whatever it might be. Um, hopefully I can integrate, you know, some of these shoots and travel in the future. And it's not like it's going to take over my life, but this is something that's in, in major metropolitan areas all over the country. And, uh, it's a culture that I can get into and it's something that I can shoot. I can get excited about, and it has absolutely revitalized my love of photography and, um, you know, really got me thinking about what might be next and, and what kind of projects might be next. So the concept of just grabbing your camera, pointing it at something you believe in that's right in front of you that you care about is, is really something I believe in very firmly. Okay, uh, this is the little section I want to do about photo tips and tricks, and today I'm going to talk about dirty frames. So, dirty frames. Um, what is a dirty frame? And uh, it's not what you think. Uh, this is not something that's going to require an X rating or a uh, age-restricted website. Uh, dirty frames are something where, um, you know, I actually have to hand it to Andre Lambertson, who actually used that term in class and, and mentioned it a few times because I had used some dirty frames in some of my images, and he mentioned you know, that is a term. I hadn't heard that term, but this is something that I naturally do in my photography. Uh, a lot of my photography uh, initially, you know, over the last, well, I've been a photographer for about 20 years or so, seriously, but, you know, for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years since I've been at the Conservancy here, I have taken a lot of wildlife photos and I gravitate towards creating dirty frames. And what is a dirty frame? I didn't know what to call it, but this is what I do. So um, a lot of times you'll see a wildlife photo and people wait for the perfect shot. They want to take a picture of a duck. So they wait until the duck is in the water, surrounded by nothing, and they point a huge telephoto lens straight at the damn duck and they take a picture. And then they, they frame that and they put it on the wall and they say, this is a picture of a duck. And well, that's true. But is it interesting? Does it tell any story about the duck? Do you know anything about the duck? Like, you know, what did the duck, uh, where does he live? What's he up to? Are there other ducks around? You know, is it woody there? Is it wet? What's it like? So... You know, you want to know more about this duck, right? Um, well, you want to know more about whatever your subject is. And I think by incorporating uh, a little bit of dirt into your frame, you can actually tell the story. So this is what I consider a dirty frame is when you have something, you know, kind of creeping into the frame in the foreground or the background, but traditionally the foreground that's kind of dirtying up your clear view of the subject. So 
Um, one of my best wildlife photos is of a Kirtland's warbler, which is an endangered species and, and very rare, and it's, uh, it's endemic to our, our part of the woods in northern Michigan here. Um, and it is a species that is in these jack pine trees, and they're just these like scrubby little jack pines. They're very hard to find. Um, but when you find one of these birds, you know, chances are he's going to be back in those bushes. He's not going to be like out, uh, you know, well, they, they, you know, they might be from time to time, but... The thing is, is he's going to be on a branch. There's going to be branches in front of him and behind him. It's hard to get focus this way, but if you use like single point focus and you, you, you anticipate where the bird might be, you take a picture of it. Now, with a shallow depth of field, especially with a telephoto lens, you're going to end up with a very shallow depth of field. And if you get that focus right, chances are the foreground branches are going to be out of focus and you'll literally see right through them. So you'll see some dirt there and you'll see things that are sort of obscuring your view. But it's going to give uh, some depths and layers to your photograph, and it's going to make it a lot more interesting. So those out-of-focus foreground elements crossing right in front of your subject even can, can often actually create a, a mood. It can, it can show you a little bit more about the context of where that animal might be. This can easily be translated to uh, images uh, of people or a setting. So in the tattoo shop, uh, in name brand tattoo down in Ann Arbor, um, Julian uh, Bast, one of the artists, he is positioned in this in such a place that one of the best ways to photograph him is um, kind of through and around the articulating arm of his lamp. So they have an overhead lamp he can pull right down on the work so they can see what they're doing. And a lot of the frames that I took incorporated the arm of this lamp out of focus uh, in the foreground, and it added a little bit of intimacy to it. Like there's just, you know, there's this extra layer of discovery that you need to make to get to the subject, and I absolutely love that. So uh, you can use a variety of different techniques to do this, but, I mean, don't be afraid to, like, peek around the corner and include the door jam in the photo. You know, you don't always have to have a straightforward, fully in-focus, clean image. Just a little bit of dirt, a little bit of obscurity, um, maybe even you're, maybe you're only seeing half your subject. Some of my favorite photos are ones where I'm literally in the other room, poking around the corner. My subject is, is partially obscured by the doorway, but they're in focus. The foreground's out of focus. And even though you can only see half of the subject, you can get the whole story, and you can kind of see the context. It adds some mystery. It creates a much more interesting composition. That's something that I really like. Don't worry too much about everything being perfect. This is something that I learned in New York. You know, I have some experience as a photographer, uh, and I, I'm, I'm a technically proficient photographer, I think, by, by many accounts. And one of the things that uh, Andre Lambertson, the instructor, said to me, he's like, well, um, you know, I, I took some pictures of a, a huge response to a fire in Chinatown while I was there. And I really like those photos a lot. And he liked them as well. He said, these are very good photographs. He's like, in fact, I would, I would hire you to take pictures of a fire. And he kind of meant it as a, you know, a compliment with an asterisk. The compliment was that this is an accurate, straightforward, interesting uh, interpretation of what was going on there. Um, and these are very clean and well-executed photos. Now, I did have some dirty frames in there and everything, but I had, um, you know, sort of a predictable use of uh, shallow depth of field, uh, sort of a predictable use of the, of the rule of thirds. You know, these are all things that we can get into in the future, um, you know, if people are interested. But for the most part, um, you know, I think what he meant was, like, this is a very good, straightforward execution of photographs to accurately represent what was there. I would hire you to take pictures of this, uh, like in a manner of like a wedding photographer or something like that. So the photographs are beautiful. Um, you know, whether or not they tell a deep human story, I don't know. I mean, this was just a quick little photojournalistic jaunt because we happened to be where, where this thing was going on, my, my classmate and I. 
And, um, you know, I, I took it as a, a compliment with an asterisk. So, um, you know, what is the viewer learning? What are they reading from your photo? If, if that's not there, uh, but it's perfectly executed, it might not be a great photo. But, you know, you can have a, a, a mediocre focus and, and a little bit of motion blur. But if it tells the story and uh, it, it captures the subject adequately, then uh, you might have a great photo. So some of the greatest photos in, in history have, you know, dirty frames and motion blur. And they're, they're, they're a mess as a technical execution of a photograph. And with today's modern cameras being so excellent and so fast at autofocus, it's almost difficult to make those things happen. So sometimes I, I drag the shutter. Uh, in order to introduce motion blur uh, or, you know, a bizarre aperture. So dirty frames, do dirty frames, and uh, I think you'll be happier with your photography. Um, you know, for the last segment, uh, I want to talk about Leica cameras. Um, these are excellent cameras <laughs> that take excellent uh, images. They can they can capture excellent images, and they they give the power to the photographer. That's what I love about Leica cameras. Every camera can do a lot of these things. I also shoot a Nikon system. I shoot Leica at home. I have a Nikon. I have one of the new mirrorless Z6 cameras here at work. It's fantastic. Uh, it does a fantastic job of taking good, accurate photographs. And I, I like it for everything that I do here. And I can be artsy with it, and I can do all those things too. However, uh, there's a lot of menus and a lot of dials and a lot of buttons, and it is very, very modern and futuristic. My Leica Q2, which I have, is actually by some standards in the Leica community also very modern and futuristic in that it has autofocus. Uh, so you have autofocus and you have um, an electronic viewfinder, which is sort of blasphemy to the, the Leica M crowd. Uh, if I were to only have one Leica camera, which I do only have one Leica camera, it's the Leica Q2 for a number of reasons. The Q2 is excellent to handle. It is small. It is very powerful with a, uh, I think, 46, 47 megapixel sensor. Um, it is weather sealed. It is practically indestructible. It's made in Germany. It is entirely metal. Um, it has an incredible 28 millimeter, uh, 1.7 uh, lens, Sumalux lens. It can do many things very well. Um, it is a fixed 28 millimeter lens, so you can't zoom, you can't change it to a 50 or whatever it is. That said, with all that resolution, one thing you can do is these in-body crops, uh, basically just, you hit this little button on the back and it gives you the option to shoot with uh, 35 millimeter frame lines, 50 millimeter frame lines, and I think 75 millimeter frame lines. I typically just shoot it at the 28 millimeter uh, frame lines. Uh, but if you crop uh, and you do that, when you load the files into Lightroom, if you were to, so it's going to show you the preview at the crop crop that you shot it. So you throw that in uh, your processor, you hit the, um, the crop button on Lightroom, and it's actually going to blow out and show you all the areas that are already pre-cropped. So it's just a way to shoot. You don't lose anything, um, but because the files are 47 megapixels, they are huge. Uh, a raw file coming out of the queue is like almost 100 megabytes. So, you know, you're talking about a lot of data 
uh, for these images. And it is a small camera. It's a heavy little small, you know, powerful uh, camera. So um, you can do a lot with it. So, um, you know, I, I have a strap from Tamarkin Camera in Chicago. I'm actually hoping to go there in a couple of days. I'm going to be in Chicago. Um, but uh, Dan Tamarkin uh, makes these great little leather straps. They're extremely simple. And I just have the Q2 around my neck when I go out. Uh, it can get rained on. It can get beat up. It can be used in the extreme cold. No problem. And it can capture these ginormous 47 megapixel images. So there's a lot you can do with it. I've added a couple things to make it even a little easier to handle. I've got the uh, Q2 thumb grip little thing that sticks off the back. And uh, my parents got me for Christmas the, uh, the front uh, grip edition too, which screws in uh, through the tripod socket and gives you a little bit of extra extra meat on it because other than that if you're familiar with Leica cameras it's uh, kind of like an M body sort of a um, you know a flat oval almost film camera style body and it's relatively small so even though it's um it's it's light for a Leica it's heavy for a camera of its size and um, you know I like having a little extra grip on there I find that the thumb that the thumb hook on the back is an extremely useful thing uh, especially when I just have it on a strap around my neck so that's how I handle it um, it has uh, some really neat features on it. You can find out a lot about the Leica Q2 online, but it is just a good all-arounder. It's a great, you know, powerful small digital camera, and uh, I like everything about it. It has face detection, um, which actually has been greatly improved through the most recent firmware update. If you are a Leica Q owner, uh, Q2 owner, you need to uh, get that firmware, the new firmware update that came out, the 2.0 firmware. It has much better autofocus for face detection. Uh, when you use face detection um, and it, it loses a face or there's no face in there, it falls back to area autofocus instead of multi-field autofocus, which doesn't mean a lot to somebody that doesn't know uh, what those are. But uh, I can tell you it was a huge relief because um, uh, you can basically set like a focus patch in the middle, which is the easiest way to just sort of shoot and recompose or point and recompose when you get focus, like with a film camera. But um, you can have it so that if a face is in there, it's going to override that center point and it's going to grab onto the face. So that's not uh, revolutionary. A lot of cameras have that, but the, um, it works very well in this system and it's been updated to perform a lot, lot better. It also has this great new status screen, um, which was not there before, that was introduced on the, uh, the brand new Leica SL2, which is an interchangeable lens camera. And uh, it's got this excellent um, uh, back menu thing that comes up. It looks beautiful. The graphic design's amazing. Super, super simple. But you can, you can change any setting on the camera basically from that screen just with touch and drag and other stuff, which is really cool. And then you click uh, the menu button one more time. It takes you to a favorites menu. Click it one more time, it takes you into the deep menu. And when I say deep menu, the whole menu for the Leica system is only like four pages. It's extremely simple. Uh, very, very logical, well laid out. And, um, you know, this is a camera that is very expensive, uh, but you're paying for this, you know, sort of the quality of the image, the indestructibility of the body, uh, the, the beauty of the lens, the functionality of it, this this great software, uh, and these incredible files with those beautiful Leica colors, those scarlet reds and really bluey blues. Um, so it's just a high quality machine. You're not going to get, um, you know, lots of bells and whistles. It does not have an HDMI port. It does not have a USB-C port. In fact, it has no ports of any kind. So you have to take the card out uh, to read it. You have to change the battery through the bottom. It's got the same battery as some other Leica cameras, which is good. But yeah, it's just uh, it's just an excellent photographer's camera. And um, it is the camera I always have with me. I take it literally everywhere. I went to like a Chamber of Commerce luncheon for my day job today. Took it with me. Took some pictures of my friends. You know, I go to the grocery store with my son, I take it with me. I always have this camera with me and I can take pictures all the time. Again, which goes back to the original topic from today's episode, which is creativity and the creative process and just make it happen. Do it every day. Have it with you. The um, the Q2, excellent camera. Uh, today, it's just about uh, introducing that to you because I'll probably refer to it a lot given that this is the Like a New Day podcast and that is my Like a Camera. 
Um, I'm also going to talk about many of the cameras that I lust over and why and uh, which cameras I might choose. I'm also hoping to, um, you know, talk about product introductions and software. I would love to have a film like a, you know, maybe my next, uh, you know, in introduction to the brand would be a 35 millimeter camera, but uh, we will see, um, you know, as far as having a, the right camera for the job to really execute what I want to do. Um, I think the Leica SL2 looks like a pretty incredible tool. But I want to finish with uh, just something really um, interesting. This whole podcast and, and everything that I'm doing here would not be possible without the support of my parents, my mother and father. Uh, and why is that? Well, for a lot of reasons. One is they are extremely um, supportive of my creative process. They are very passionate about um, you know what I do, and um, they're very proud of me, which is excellent. And they are in a position to to help me. And I work for a nonprofit, and I do okay. But, um, you know, the Leica Q2 was a camera that was very difficult to get a hold of. It was introduced in like April of last year, and you really couldn't get one until maybe September or October. They're hard to get. Um, well, one popped up available at the uh, Leica Soho Gallery, and I, I happened to notice it and man said, boy, I sure wish I could buy that camera. And, you know, my mom uh, handed me her credit card and she said, buy it. Like, I think you should buy it. You know, you've been talking about these for a long time and we want to support you. And so, uh, you know, I'm paying them back. Uh, but <laughs> over time, I'm only about 40% paid back and we're about, you know, I don't know, six months into this. But they really made a dream come true for me. And having this uh, very powerful professional level camera with me all the time, I've been able to take photographs that I would not have been able to take with my iPhone or with uh, my system camera because I probably wouldn't have brought my system camera with me. Uh, you know, big backpack full of Nikon stuff. And They've done a good job shrinking down the uh, interchangeable lens cameras on the, the Nikon and Canon side and everything, but the lenses are still huge, and it's still a big camera, like a you know, heavy, big camera. It's not like uh, not like this little guy. Anyway, that's going to do it for the first episode of the Like a New Day podcast. Um, you know, I hope this comes to something, and uh, you know, I had fun sitting here in my office uh, talking uh, into a microphone all by myself. So if you made it through you know, half an hour, 40 minutes of me blathering on and on about uh, creativity, photography, and Like cameras, I commend you. Um, so uh, at any rate, um, thanks for being here for the very first episode. Let's hope this turns into something and we build a community. And uh, I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Take care. The Like a New Day podcast is brought to you by me, Zachary Brannigan. You can find information about my photography at Zachary Brannigan Photography online at ZacharyBrannigan.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook under Z-G-B-R-A-N-I-G-A-N. That's at Z-G Brannigan. Our theme music is Too Cool by Kevin McLeod, brought to us through Creative Commons. Thanks a lot. We appreciate you listening. Please like, subscribe, follow us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Google Podcasts. Your reviews really matter and help. Also, please feel free to shoot me an email or a private message on one of the social media platforms. I would love to hear from you. Love to get your questions, and uh, we'll definitely get them on the air. Thanks a lot. Very much appreciated. Bye-bye.